Thank you very much. Um, it's great to be here. It's great to be able to share with you again. And haven't we had fun at New Horizon? Hasn't it been good? Okay, I've had fun. But it's been good. It's been really good. And today I'm going to look at our cultural landscape for evangelism. And I'm going to turn this down a bit because clearly Dawn's got a quiet voice. There we go. That's probably a bit better. You can hear me at the back, can't you? And, um, but one disclaimer. Right, this is the only time you'll hear me say this this week. But I am very much English. So were I to say something this morning that was culturally insensitive or did not, is not true in your culture, that is purely out of a lack of knowledge, not out of being deliberately insensitive. Is that cool? When you're asked to talk about a cultural landscape for evangelism, and it's in Northern Ireland, not in England, there is an outside chance I might get something a little bit wrong. So I know you will be gracious and forgiving of that. And yesterday I... I under-delivered on a promise, which was that I had enough leaflets of everything for everyone. I clearly didn't, because I didn't realise how generous you were in understanding what a few was. And so, <laughs> and so I've got a few things for you this morning, just before we move on, which is a few web links. EAUK.org forward slash speak up. You know those speak up leaflets I had yesterday? I've got four. So the first four people, it's one each this morning. The first four people can have one this morning, but on this website here, you have the PDF version. So on that link is a PDF version. Also, we can get you paper versions if you want them. There's an email address there. We can order paper versions. That's not a problem. We've got plenty more, just not here. Secondly, um, I know that really the part of the EA you're most interested in is the Northern Ireland bit. So eauk.org forward slash Northern Ireland is where you may want to go to hear about what we're doing here. And then those great commission leaflets. I've got about 30. Yesterday I had 600. These 30 do need to go though. But for those who don't get one of these at the end, I've got my little um, chairs again. Greatcommission.co.uk. That's where the website's going to be. At the moment there's a holding page. You can subscribe to be told as soon as it's live and to get updates and things. That'd be really good to engage with. And the last two things, as little adverts I guess, We as the EA are launching a campaign, a pro-life campaign. Pro the life of the mother, pro the life of the child. And also a message to say that life really matters. This is really important. And we're pushing this hard in Northern Ireland. And I've got a load of these postcards. Dawn's going to be driving this. She said she wasn't that salesy. I said, come on, we can do this. I know that a load of you want to get behind this really important campaign and get it started with good momentum. I've got a limited amount of postcards, but I've promised Dawn everything I bring over here will go. So if you could grab some of these at the end of the chairs, that'd be really good. And if they run out, there's loads more at the stand than it actually are this time. Um, I thought they were last time, but my mistake. And finally, why Evangelical Alliance? The Evangelical Alliance exists for two things. We want to unite the church in mission and help the church have a clear, coherent and effective voice into every layer of society. We want to see the church united because the church is going to change the world. Why Evangelical Alliance? That's why. These are leaflets and little booklets on Northern Ireland. There are enough on site. Mate, you can have my chair if you like. Yeah, yeah there you go. There you go. Just, just don't take my jumper. Yeah. <laughs> if I had any money, I'd give it to you. Anyway. I've put it all in the offerings. Um, Why Evangelical Alliance? There's enough of these on the stand and here. Please take one. And finally, um, I was told that everyone here would be interested in EA and emails and stuff. So we've got this little clipboard that's going to pass around. 
If you want to get updates from us, just stick your email on there. If you don't have an email, stick your phone number. Stick your phone number anyway in case your email doesn't work. We'd love to stay in touch with you because we believe in our time we're going to see something significant. But it only happens in a united church. So let's, um, we're getting turned down now. Wow. Is it any different? Yeah, it is a little bit. Right, so we'll pass this round. If you don't want to fill it in, feel free not to. But um, there you go, mate. If you want to stick your email address, that'd be nice. Just don't take my jumper. Anyway, we're going. So, the first thing I want to say is what we're going to look at. You, you can't hear me now. Okay, listen, right? I like to break rules, so I don't mind. But... No one saw me, right? Yeah, okay, good, good, good. I used to work in youth work. I don't mind breaking rules. Anyway, um, I want to say first, this is all rooted in the Great Commission. What we're going to say in the next hour could seem at times quite superficial. But the reality is, if you don't understand the landscape, you can't get a message across. We can speak Dutch to people who speak English and they won't understand. And we've got to change some of our style. So if it ever feels superficial, it's based in this. The substance of the message never changes. Don't mess around with the substance of the message, but the style's got to change. Archbishop Russell Brown said, we need a spiritual revolution. If you want to read one book, and you can handle it, and you don't mind a few rude words, but you want to read one book on disenfranchised 20 and 30-year-olds in the United Kingdom, read Russell Brown's Revolution. It's full of pretentious words. Isn't pretentious the most pretentious of words? But it's full of pretentious words, but it's quite interesting. And he talks throughout about the fact that people are spiritually hungry. They may not be saying we need Jesus, they need, but we need a spiritual revolution. So the time is now. We also live in current uncertainty. Now, this is interesting where I live, because I live in London. Which means that every other person in England, near enough, who doesn't live in London, disagrees with me on Brexit. However, it's a really important time for the church to show what does it mean to respond to disagreement when you have Jesus? You know, how do we disagree agreeably? What difference does it make when you've got Jesus? You know, um, at our school gate, our school is 60% Portuguese. And at our school gate, all me and Anne did for the last three weeks of term is tell people that we love them. You know, because politics are out the window. Do you know what? It's brilliant having you here. Do you know what? It's great having you here. Because there was this, this rising undercurrent that we haven't seen, certainly where I live, we haven't seen in a long time. I grew up in London and have seen hardly any racism in England. And yet suddenly there's this release of stuff that's not okay. And so we're living in tumultuous times, but it's a great time to show what difference it makes when you have Jesus. And whatever we voted, we now have to make the best of it, don't we? Because going forward, we want the nation to be doing all right. But one of, one of the most important things I think we have to identify with is growing secularization. We're living in a time of growing secularization. Anyone want to tell me what any of those things up there are? And a couple of them are quite close to home, aren't they? What have we got on, what have we got on the screen? We've got, okay, we've got um, the gay marriage cake, Ashes Bakery cake. All I'll say on this is um, a writer in The Guardian, so that puts it in a framework for us, says that they thought the Ashes Bakery case is lunacy. Because it's the same as going into an Islamic butcher's and asking for all your meat for your barbecue and saying it has to be non-halal meat. It just wouldn't happen, would it? Christianity is not being persecuted. You mustn't use that word. Look around the world for persecution. But we are being marginalised a little. You add to that too, um, ISIS in the middle. There's a few laws potentially going through Westminster to defend the United Kingdom 
from the likes of ISIS. However, the problem is it eradicates freedom of speech. And we've got to be careful to make sure we still have freedoms to share. I think in my lifetime I'll get arrested. I don't think I'll go to prison, but I do think I'll get arrested. This is what I'll get arrested for. I won't stop saying this. Jesus is not an option. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I believe in the utter exclusivity of Christ. Now, if you believe that, it's getting harder. You add to it too, on the end, we've got Caitlin Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, who won a decathlon gold medal at the Olympics. Transgenderism is causing us issues. It's causing us a few problems because what do you do with that? So like, um, for example, Stonewall have found themselves in trouble because for 25 years they've argued that sexuality is genetic. But if your gender's fluid, the government are looking at 55 definitions of gender. Honestly, if you, if you, if you want to have some fun, read the 55. It's just crazy. But they're looking at 55 definitions of gender. If your gender's fluid, then your sexuality can't be inherent. It, it, it's all getting confusing. Also, what happens to feminism? What do you do with feminism when, um, when gender's fluid? Do you know that Jermaine Greer and Peter Tatchell have both been no-platformed by UK universities at the moment? They're too bigoted to speak in university. What chance have you got? Add to that too, we'll keep going. Down the bottom, Jim McConnell, a name that will be familiar to many of you. Preacher over here who preached and said that Islam was satanic and uh, went to court and could have gone to prison. What was interesting, the same week he was in court, Channel 4, 9pm, Wednesday night, the lost women of ISIS was shown. There were Muslim women in a full hijab in a mosque in Leeds saying that 9-11 was brilliant. Not one person got arrested. Friends, it's not that we're being persecuted, but we are being targeted. People are looking out for what we're doing. More people watched that than downloaded his talk. I can guarantee you that. In the middle at the bottom, Department for Education. This is the English. This is a moment where this is an English bit. But the English Department for Education said last September, if an eight-year-old girl in a primary school class says same-sex marriage is wrong because it says so in the Bible, she will be put on a list made available to social services of potential radical extremists. Got a problem, haven't we? I've got a real problem because I've got one of those children. My nine-year-old daughter says to me sometimes, I answered everyone's questions about Jesus today, Daddy. And, and she tells everyone stuff about Jesus. and She's constantly quoting the Bible. When she gets suspended from school for being too Jesus, I'm going to take her out for dinner. <laughs> but we're living in a changing time. And I think we need to acknowledge this. We need to acknowledge the growing secularization. It's getting harder, isn't it? It's worse in other places. In Norway, two Christian families have had their children taken off them because their children are considered too extreme Christian. These are difficult times in which we've got to pray. Also, I was preaching at The Sun. You know that wonderful newspaper? I was preaching at their headquarters. News UK have a Christian union at The Sun and they were doing an outreach event and I went to preach. It was fun. It was also a bit strange. Some of the pictures on the wall in the sun were not what I expected to see as I went to preach. And I preached at this outreach event. And afterwards, I met one of the lawyers who works for the sun in the legal department. He's a Christian. I said to him, how does your newspaper view me? He says, narrow-minded, extremist, bigot. I said, thank you. I said, how do you view me? He said, child of the living God, living out your God-given mandate. You know, there's a, rea- there's, a, there's a thing going on between perception and reality. In reality, I'm a child of the living God doing all I can to live for Jesus. In much of society's perception, I could be seen as a bigot. And here's my view. If you want my view really quickly, this is my l- latest theory. Right? If the likes of Peter Tatchell and Jermaine Greer are considered bigoted, 
you've got no chance not to be seen as a bigot at times in a secularized society. So you might as well be seen as a bigot early. You might as well hold on to biblical truth, not move on it, be seen as a bigger early doors and stick with it. Because however cool and, and contemporary you try and be, eventually you'll be a bigot because culture moves faster than anything else. And in this landscape, we've got to stand strong, stand up and be sure of who we are. But it's hard, isn't it? Don't worry, it'll get more lighthearted. Secondly, instant culture. We live in an instant culture. When I was growing up, the most successful shop at the end of the road was the TV repair shop. Now, even if your TV's 3D HD slimline, if it breaks, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? It breaks right away, right? Where I used to live in Hale's Owen in the Midlands, you had the first self-made millionaire who'd made all their money from going to the dump, taking people's broken stuff, fixing it and selling it on eBay. Now, don't get me wrong, it's taken a while, but a millionaire. Friends, we live in a culture that throws stuff away, that gives up quickly. My mum used to have this hanger with zips on it. For if your zip broke on your trousers, she'd sew a new one on. Who under 70 does that anymore? And besides, whose trousers are made well enough anymore that the zip goes before something else? We live in this instant culture. It's, it's difficult. And you know, in that culture... People make quicker decisions for Jesus and not for Jesus. Because you give up on stuff. When it doesn't feel right, we walk away. I was preaching at the church of someone I was at Bible college with. Finished at Bible college 15 years ago. And I was preaching at his church and um, his wife wasn't there. So I was like, where's your wife? And over lunch she wasn't there. So I actually asked him, where's your wife? He said, I've left her. I said, why? Expecting him to tell me about an affair. You know, the sort of tragic things that go on in the church. He says, I'm just not sure I love her anymore. I said, I don't understand. He says, what don't you understand? I said, love is a choice, not a feeling. And the problem is in our society increasingly, we've got a feelings-based society. We've got a generation who listen with their eyes and think with their feelings. Therefore, the minute it doesn't feel right, they give up. The minute Christianity doesn't feel right, they give up. We have got to teach people to operate in the valleys as well as the mountaintops. Because the problem in our instant culture is the last experience becomes the floor of the next one. And on average, 20 years ago, it took one or two decisions for Jesus till it stuck. Now it takes seven. So in order to see as many people come to faith as we did 20 years ago, we need to do seven times as many asks. And yet most of us are doing less asks. And so in our instant culture, we've got to ask more. We've also got to not kill people in the water when they've made a decision for Jesus. Both of my children have made their first decision for Jesus. I hope it's the only one needed. But you know what? I deliberately say the first decision for Jesus because I'm, I'm being realistic about the fact they may need to make a few more steps towards Jesus till it sticks. We live in a different time. It's an instant culture. It has a massive effect on our evangelism. Thirdly, this is an internal one within the church, but shifting morals. I'm really concerned that a lot of Christianity is starting to not believe in sin anymore. So what we do is we just adjust our theology to encompass whatever behaviours are in front of us. And what you end up with in the end is the church becomes magnolia wallpaper on the world's agenda. It doesn't stand out. It's no different. There's nothing to join. You know, you want to stop younger people coming to faith, go liberal. Because there's nothing to sign up to. It's no different. Yeah, I'm aware, I'm aware of my sinfulness. You know, I'm with John Newton, the quote up there, who in 1807, he wrote Amazing Grace. He said, my memory's nearly gone, my body's broken, but I know two things. Christ, I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. I'm concerned that within the church... 
and, and I think this is more rapid where I live than here, but it's starting here, that within the church, because a lot of younger generations as well are, are more biblically illiterate, we're basing our theology on our feelings, not on the Bible. And we've actually got to be clear about the fact, I, I'm worried that over time, conversion slipping. People start thinking that we're, we're all going to go to heaven by osmosis, but that's not, it's not true. We've got to make a decision to follow Jesus. And that's having a challenge in the church. We've got to, we've got to stand strong. We're not to be defined by what we're for, and we're for Jesus. But any relationship has rules, doesn't it? It's my 15th wedding anniversary today. I'm celebrating with you lot. And um, <laughs> honestly, you shouldn't be clapping me. <laughs> the one who's done all the hard work is not here. <laughs> but if you'd said to me when I was 15 years old, get married, you don't get girlfriends, I'd have told you to get stuffed. Because I liked having girlfriends. But when I met a woman who changed my life, not having girlfriends, that's cool. Because a relationship has rules, otherwise it's anarchy. Relationship has boundaries. And we've got to be clear in relationship with Jesus. The church has got to be distinct. When you follow Jesus, everything changes. And I'm concerned about some of the shifting morals around us. We'll do this one and then we'll have a little chat with um, people around us. Inclusive agenda. I just... I despise the way we use this word inclusive. Because in its purest sense, Jesus is the most inclusive figure in human history. But he's got the most exclusive message if you want to follow him. So he's utterly inclusive. Till you want to follow him, then it costs you everything. But this inclusive word has become this horrible thing that means nothing. And as long as the only thing that we're against in our society is having a view on anything. No, so you end up utterly inclusive. We end up having no views, not standing up for anything. And your truth's fine for you. Just don't you dare impose it on me. Except when it comes to other stuff, people are very allowed to, aren't they? Brexit showed that. It seemed okay in our society for people to say the most iniquitous things about each other. But when it comes to faith, you're not allowed to explain that there might possibly be a decision or something. And, and this inclusive thing, we fight against it a bit. Um, when I was head of YFC, the Archbishop of York, a guy called John Sentamu, he was uh, the patron of Youth for Christ. And he said to me, don't be inclusive, be tolerant. He said, tolerance is living amongst people you disagree with and getting on. Inclusivity is not having a view and just fading into the background. But we live in this world where if you're not inclusive, you're considered to be outrageous. And it's going to start costing us. The price tag on being a Christian in the United Kingdom is going up. And you know what? That's not always a bad thing. Because where the price tag on being a Christian around the world is high... The church seems to be doing better than where church and culture are totally linked. So there's four. An increased secular agenda. More instant culture. Thirdly, shifting morals and inclusive agenda. Just with someone next to you, um, just with the person next to you, which of those are you most experiencing or sensing in the world and part of the world you live in? What, which of those is most resonating with you? Are you really thinking, actually, it really is like that. We need to raise our game a little in this environment. Just with a person next to you, which one's most resonating with you? It's good to hear so much noise. Clearly, the introduction of the Speak Up resource is having an impact. Which of those most resonates? Anyone want to shout out? Shifting morals. So that's having an impact here very much as well. You know... Um, Sometimes, on the moral thing, sometimes the Bible's like a stone in your shoe. Let's be honest. I, I've grown up, I'm 36, so I've grown up in a very postmodern world. So if I base everything on my feelings, my feelings are all inclusivity. But however, I know scripture. And sometimes those two things rub against each other, but scripture has to win. 
And that's the challenge, isn't it? Is it's easy to, to give in to the pervading landscape. Anything else? What, what other ones? The what? Growing secularism. It's, it's challenging, isn't it? It's, there is a growing secularization. There is an intellectual bias towards that as well. And I, and I don't really get that. We'll come on to atheism in a little while, which is slightly different to secularization. But there is a bias towards that. What about the uh, instant culture? Are we experiencing that? Are we seeing people come to faith? If any of you have people you long to see Jesus and they're young and they're not doing very well at the moment, don't worry too much till they're 30. That's about the age at which it gets harder. Until they're 30, they're kind of wet cement. They, 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 they could well be all right. But get people praying for them. I shared this in the seminar the other day. Ten people prayed for me every day when I left the church at 14. And I, if I'd known they were praying for me, I'd have been furious. But when I came back to faith, I got to write to them all and thank them for praying for me. Get people praying every day by name for people. We underestimate the prayer on some of these people because we need decisions to stick. What about inclusive agenda? Are we noticing that around quite a lot? It's going to get harder over time. Um, we need to be honest about who we are as well. You know, there are moments when I'm at dinner parties or at a Christmas party or something and you just wish you were a vet or something. Because people say to you, what do you do? And you're like, oh, well, I'm the director of mission at the Evangelical Alliance. You can't really hide, can you? And, and over time, it's going to get more and more tempting to hide who we are in order to not face the flak. And yet, actually, we don't, we don't live in North Korea. So we don't need to hide who we are. We just need to be brave. We'll move on. Number five, technology is changing relationships. I love this picture of these two rabbits walking along. One says, I worry that Facebook is killing meaningful communication. The other one says, like. um, (laughs) We are living in a faster time of technological advancement than anyone can remember. And in truth, in ministry now, or any outreach, if you don't use social networking... That's like saying for the last 500 years, I don't do books. And when it comes to technology, we need to redeem technology. Technology is there as a communication tool. We've never had so many communication tools in all time. We've got loads of ways of communicating people, but it's changing things. And when we reach people, um, it changes things too. I I know people who say some of their best friends are on social media and they've never met them. I I I don't go that far because that's a bit weird. However, I'm an old person for growing up in a digital age compared to, say, my children, the world they're growing up in. Although they don't know yet, we don't let them have screens and they're nine and six and, Lord, in your mercy, give us at least a couple more years. But technology is changing everything. I know in youth work, the way you work with people, it really changes it. Do you know what the biggest issue in youth work is? The biggest negative of increased technology in youth work. Anyone, anyone have a guess? Bullying. You used to leave the bully at school. The bully's now in your pocket. The bully's on your screen. The bully's on your telly. Because they're everywhere. You could say, well, don't use it at home. Come on. What world do you live in? And it's challenging. You also get with people, they, they give a persona online and a persona offline. Now, this is two interesting things. For some people, when they're younger, they have had who they naturally are bullied out of them. And social platforms and stuff give them a chance to be who they are. For others, though, you're just like, are you kidding me? I know you, you're nothing like that. Why are you pretending to be the biggest clown and joker the world's ever known when in life, hmm, you're not that. And we've got to fight for authenticity in the midst of technology. This will be the, the, the key word for our time is authenticity. It's the key word. We've got to be the same. I was, I was saying to Dawn earlier, we we're talking about preaching. And previous generations of preachers would be the greatest extrovert on a platform 
and then off-platform be a complete introvert. I don't know if that works for under-40s. I think it's okay for those who've grown up in that world, but I don't think it works for under-40s. I think people want to know what you're about, what you're doing. You know, um, are you the same character off-platform as on-platform? Do you do the same things? I know in my job, I have to have personal evangelism in my life. Otherwise, I've got no right to try and lead anyone to Jesus on a platform. You've got to live what you're doing. And technology makes this more complicated. However, Facebook is a gift to any kind of organizing of any group activity. My texting bill is almost non-existent now. It used to be ridiculous in youth work. You've got to text them all, tell them meeting here. They all then text back. Everyone's got a problem. Just use the Facebook wall now. You come away. We've been traveling for three weeks. And... No one texts you anymore. Have you noticed this? Just don't get texted by anyone. The only person who texts me is my mum. And it just doesn't happen anymore. It changes. In fact, mentioning my mum, this is one thing I'd throw in. Technology is not just for younger people. It's what we used to think, didn't we? When my mum asked to be my friend on Facebook seven years ago, I nearly came off Facebook. Because <laughs> I assumed if it's relevant to her, it's not relevant to me. But that's not true. We're living in a different age. And technology is changing relationships. And also, most of the prolific leading of people to Jesus seems to increasingly be being online and stuff. And you're like, well, what's that all about? It's interesting, isn't it? But we're going to have to watch this going forward because we've got to also do authentic discipleship. I, I love the fact that many churches are starting to live stream their churches. But the problem with that is lots of people are staying in bed to go to church. And I'm not sure that's okay in the long term. It's not really a model for discipleship. We've got to navigate these waters. Also, you've got to be clever with technology. The reason, um, one of the reasons Jim McConnell got himself into trouble for what he preached was not where he preached it, it was the fact it was podcast. Because you come under broadcasting laws. So I think churches in some technological areas are going to ease in. I know I preach in some places and say you can't put that bit on the recording. Not because it's, I've said anything wrong, just it can't be taken out of context. What if it's a prophetic word? What if something else happens? We've got to be careful what we do with technology, but we've also got to embrace it. We'll move on. Militant atheism. Now, I like this quote, which you probably won't be able to read on the screen. It says, atheism, the belief there was once absolutely nothing and nothing happened to the nothing until the nothing magically exploded for no reason, creating everything and everywhere. Then a bunch of the exploded everything magically rearranged itself for no reason whatsoever into self-replicating bits, which then turned into dinosaurs. And they mock your beliefs. Part of the challenge we have is there's an intellectual bias in our society towards atheism. But it doesn't actually make sense. When you deconstruct it, it doesn't make sense. It's a bigger leap of faith to believe in nothing than it is to believe in God. Now, I'm not talking here in this very moment about trinities and everything else, but a belief in a, in a divine being or a belief in nothing, the, the jump to nothing's bigger. And yet in our culture, this isn't acknowledged. And so um, the National Secular Society uh, identified Youth for Christ as the organisation they were most concerned about in Britain for a little while. We've thought about putting that on our literature. We thought it would be a great fundraising tool. But it was like we, they were having a right go at us for going to schools. And so I went on this um, show, the Richard Bacon Show on Five Live, and I went on against the head of the National Secular Society, and Richard Dawkins was there as well. You know, that makes it really fair, doesn't it? Let's put the cleverest atheist in the UK and the head of the Secular Society, and let's put this fellow who leads you for Christ who gets a bit excited on. That was good. And they both had a go at me, obviously. And to be honest, I, I went on with Dawkins twice on Five Live back in the day, and he really doesn't like me. And the feeling's kind of mutual. 
Doesn't say on my Barbie you have to like everyone, eh? You have to love them. That's different. And he says towards the end of the show, he says, when are you going to stop being so narrow-minded and so arrogant as to going into schools and telling young people that what you believe is the truth? When are you going to stop brainwashing young people? When are you going to stop being so directive? And when are you going to stop doing this in such an inappropriate manner in our culture? Do you know what I said? When you do. And the whole place goes silent. Richard Bacon says, what do you mean? I said, well, there's this strange thing goes on in our, in our schools where, where you teach the Big Bang as absolute science, where you teach atheism as if it's gospel, and yet we can't do the same with Christianity. Why can't we help young people hear every view and then make a decision in a balanced way? Richard Bacon said, yeah, that's a good point. Really, we ought to do that, shouldn't we? And you're like, <laughs> There's this problem. There's this intellectual bias towards atheism. And we've got to be secure. We've got to be more secure. Do you remember it was about a year ago when Stephen Fry was interviewed by Gay Byrne, the um, Republic of Ireland documentary maker? He, he interviewed him about his fa- lack of faith. And Gay Byrne pushed Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry is known as an atheist. Pushed him, pushed him, pushed him. What if you're wrong? What if you get to the gates and you're wrong? What would you say? Stephen Fry said this. He wouldn't even call it God, but he said, it's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world in which, which is so full of injustice and pain? Do you know, I don't have a problem with him saying that. I had a problem with the Christian response within an hour, within a day on social media. At least 10 of my friends in Christian leadership had all done blogs on why Stephen Fry was so wrong and why this was so awful and why this was so dreadful. You know, I find it bizarre. It's no wonder people think that atheism is true and Christianity isn't with how insecure we are. You know, why do we care what Stephen Fry thinks? He doesn't believe in the God we believe in. He's utterly convinced he doesn't exist. So then we get overexcited when he has a view on him. What's that all about? What are we going to do next? Put Archbishop Justin Welby as a pundit on Match of the Day. I mean, it's totally irrelevant. And I think the church has just got to be a bit more secure. Stephen Fry can say what he likes, but he's wrong. But we don't need to get overexcited. How can Stephen Fry possibly say this? Oh, wow. Shock, horror. An atheist thinks that God's not real. Friends, we have got to be, we've got to be more secure to hold our own. I am, um, the other time I went on with a secular society, we produced at Youth for Christ the whole of the non-statutory curriculum for the teaching of Christianity in RE in England and Wales. Massive website called RE Quest. Great stuff. Brilliant. And I went on and um, head of National Secular Society says to me, It's so narrow-minded of you only to do Christianity. How come you didn't do every faith? So I turned to him and said, well, as you'll know, being such an educationalist, the non-statutory curriculum for RE dictates you have to learn from primary sources. I'm a Christian, so it would be disingenuous as a piece of education for me to talk about other faiths. Friends, let's not spend all our time talking about everyone else. Let's talk about Jesus. In a landscape that constantly tries to tell us what we're wrong, let's tell a different story. Let's tell a Jesus story. Seven. Negative portrayal. Christianity is portrayed negatively in the media, isn't it? It just is. It is. This is why um, I have so much respect. I'll say it because he's not here. I wouldn't say it if he was here because, you know, I think he already knows how good he is. But I have so much respect for my friend Peter Linus because he goes on the media loads and says stuff that, frankly, none of us would say. And he does it in a good way and it changes the portrayal of Christianity. It's great. But in the main, the media don't like people like that. They like Westboro Baptist Church, don't they? 
They love a bit of everyone hates everything. Ah, Christians hate everything. What is the missional opportunity this gives us? What is the positive? If the media are telling everyone that all Christians are absolutely nuts, awful and hate everything, what is the evangelistic open goal we are provided with? Anyone know? We're not that. Nice one. Really simple. That's not what we are. So the minute someone meets a Christian, you're going to start with currency. I want every non-Christian I meet in the next week to think I'm like that. Because the minute I'm not, that door has opened up. The stereotype is not true. I don't know any Christians like this. But the media seems to find them. And we are portrayed negatively. You know, um, often when the media researcher will ring you up to go on. Unless you're nuts, you don't always get on. So they ring you up. And they'll say, they might say... What do you think about same-sex marriage? And if I said what I actually think, which is that all Christian, all, all sexual activity should be inside a heterosexual marriage, but that God loves all people and I want people to meet Jesus and then realize that, that, that some things can work within that context. And, and actually, pastorally, I'm very caring for people, but I'm not compromising on the message. You wouldn't get on. But if you say to a searcher, I have a really traditional view of Christian marriage, you're on. Because they think you're going to tell everyone everything you hate. They want nutters on the media. Otherwise, I can't explain it. Because most of the people they find are, are, are not like me. We are portrayed negatively. Therefore, you can be positive when you meet people. Edmund Burke said, one man sees an open door, the other man sees a shut door. We have got to be open door people. Otherwise, we're not going to have any chance of reaching our nation for Jesus. If your next door neighbours think Christians are like this, Change it. Because you live next door. This one's interesting. Did you know that the word God has been in the printed news more in the last five years than the 20 years before that put together? It's interesting, isn't it? But not once in a broadsheet. Broadsheets don't use the word God in their headlines. When this happened, this is what showed it. Do you remember five years ago, Fabrice Mwamba, the footballer, had a heart attack? Had a heart attack on a football pitch playing for Bolton at White Hart Lane against Tottenham. Fabrice Mwamba's a Christian as well, which is interesting. But when he had a heart attack, no one knew what to do. Because footballers are demigods of our age, aren't they? Fit, wealthy, successful. On the subject of fitness, just throw that in as well. Um, if you want to know about culture, fit is the new thin, but we can't talk about that today. But people aren't interested in being thin anymore, interested in being fit. Fitness is a massive thing. You want to reach people at your church, start a running club. You know, fitness is the thing of our day. It just is at the moment. And um, when Mwamba had a heart attack, no one knew what to do. Because if a 22-year-old footballer with the world at his feet has a heart attack on a football pitch, where do we turn? What do we do? And so... Every major tabloid had the word God in the headline. The broadsheets didn't put God in the headline, but they did share the story. Like there at the Times, Gary Cahill, former teammate of Moamba's, wearing Pray for Moamba on his top. Because you know on Twitter, the most used hashtag of that year was hashtag Pray for Moamba. That was started by Archbishop Rio Ferdinand. <laughs> Interesting lesson during that time. A lot of non-Christians... We're talking about prayer and God 
and we didn't really join in the conversation. What I mean by that is uh, most of the hashtag and everything else was, was spearheaded by others, and this was going on. And I surveyed 200 youth workers a month after this. How many of you changed what you were doing to talk about this that week? 3%. That's not okay, is it? We moan that the world doesn't talk about our stuff. And then when the world's talking about God, we've paid £10 a month for our subscription. So we have to do our fourth session on whatever we were doing that week. We paid for it. Instead of stopping and saying, the world's talking about praying and the world's talking about God. Let's talk about it, shall we? I know at our youth group, we just got all the newspapers out and said, what does this tell you about the world? We started talking about it, started engaging with it. When stuff's going on in the world, we mustn't be operating in a, in a separate world. Because people are interested in talking about God. Another lesson I found, um, Phil Gartside is the chairman of Bolton Wanderers, the football team that Mwamba played for. He opened the most used prayer room in five years in the UK. It's the most used prayer room, most visited. Interestingly... People were drawn to pray for Mwamba. Secondly, Phil Gartside opened it in the most exclusive VIP area of Bolton Stadium. So lots of people went to the prayer room because they'd never see that part of the stadium otherwise. There's a lesson there to us, isn't there? Because we do Christian outreach events in cold halls where the heating's broken or just where it's summer. (laughs) And we serve up instant coffee in polystyrene cups, right? And wonder why no one likes it. There's interesting ways of doing things. Within this uh, news thing as well, in the year 2000, Time magazine did a massive um, magazine that said, Is God Dead? In 2007, they did this one, Is God Coming Back to Life? 2010, one of the three most read books in the world was God is Back. Now, I'm not sure where he went, but we can live off past narrative. People aren't interested in God. People are interested in God. Hollywood have produced more stuff on God and the Bible in the last three years than they have in living memory. And you know what? As Christians, let's stop criticizing it. Most Christians I meet say, oh, that Noah film was awful. Oh, that Bible TV series, that was dreadful. They didn't do this, 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 and this. And oh, wow. How did the Moses film forget Aaron? You know what? They're not going to be perfect, but we live in a visual age. And they are visually opening up stories to people who wouldn't engage otherwise. My old youth group watched the Bible TV series half an hour each week. Personally, you want my opinion? Personally, as an individual feeding my soul, it was as useful as Lou Roll. However, for these young people who didn't know the stories, it was amazing. They loved most ninja, ninja angels going into Sodom and Gomorrah. They loved it. And we would watch half an hour. Then they'd say, Gav, can you read us the story? You're like, what? These are non-Christian kids. I was reading them the Bible because they'd just seen it on the telly. We live in a visual age. We need to stop criticizing the world when it does little things to help us to open doors. By all means, show Exodus film at your church, but then get up and give a few retellings of the actual story. But friends, they're bringing stories to people's attention that wouldn't be there otherwise. We live in a visual age. Within this visual thing too, a complete side note, but we've got to stop just teaching what the Bible says and we've got to start teaching some of what it looks like. Because what it says is great, but, but new generations are interested in what it looks like. So, for example, Lazarus dies. And Jesus stands outside Lazarus' tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. Do you know why he says that? I've been in Lazarus's tomb. There's 15 beds for dead people. Jesus is so powerful. If he just said, come out, 15 dead people at once, just walk out. Be a Scooby-Doo moment as 15 corpses all came to life. Imagine if Lazarus was a common name. 
Imagine if there are three of them in there. Three of them came to life. Jesus said, not you, sunshine, not you on that one. Come on. Got to make it visual. What does it look, sound and smell like? When, when Moses sees the sea split, what if there's a killer whale in the middle? Does that split and you collect a steak on your way through? I don't know. But friends, new generations and postmodern people are interested in the visual. And the Bible has the most visual depictions. Hollywood has proved that, even if they've done it badly. We've got to make the thing visual. Nine, politically challenging. Now, here's the thing. I wouldn't mention politics in terms of your context. I'm not even going to go there. But what I am going to say is authority figures have been destroyed in the last 25 years in the UK. You go back to the early 90s and um, the most, in many ways, disturbing affair happened between John Major and Edwina Curry. That was the first example of the media ripping to shreds authority figures in a sleaze campaign. And you see from there to now, every time there's any kind of hero, everyone tries to get the mud on them, don't they? Everyone tries to get the mess on them. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. They're struggling at the moment with Theresa May because they can't find much. But every time there's anyone, we try and destroy them. We utterly destroy them. And it, it got its zenith in this sort of Tony Blair years where all kinds of things were going on and, and sleaze this and un this. And then we wonder why no one respects authority figures in 2016. Because they've been torn apart by everyone. And this has a massive impact on younger people, particularly, because they don't know any different. So, for example, um, if you go for lunch, well, I did on Sunday. I went for lunch with Peter Linus's parents, who are therefore of a certain generation. And my children called them by their first names. Now, I checked that was okay, but I checked that was okay. Why? Because I was raised in a time where you called everyone Mr. and Mrs. But people don't do that anymore. Because respect for anyone is earned, it's not given. This has a massive impact on our outreach. If you're a church leader, you're not respected as much for being a church leader. You've got to earn that respect. That's the landscape we live in. We just have to deal with it. Changing aspirations. These are the numbers of those not in education, employment or training in the United Kingdom. Going up massively from about 700,000 in the year 2002 At the moment, it's 1.1 million, which is just terrible. And the Guardian said that once upon a time, children aspired to be teachers, bankers, doctors. Now they want to be celebrities. If you go into the difference between my starter, YFC, and my end, you go into a school, what do you want to be when you grow up? Someone will say famous. You'd be like, famous for what? They're like, just famous. I'm like, that's not a job. The TV presenter Fern Cotton says the only difference when you're famous is people you don't want to speak to you come and say hello in the street. It's a weird world, isn't it? And when you've got changing aspirations, we've got changing messages. Backed up by Taylor Herring. Taylor Herring did some research. 25 years ago, the number one job that children wanted to be in the United Kingdom was a teacher. Second was banking. Third was doctor. Now it's sports person, pop star, actor. What do you end up with with the second lot? Broken dreams, mental health issues, all kinds of challenges and struggles in your life. When I was a boy, I wanted to be a footballer. And I was a semi-pro footballer and I was connected to a premiership club for a little while. Two of my mates went on to play for England. But I wasn't good enough. And do you know what? There comes a point, is it, have I put it, no, I've not put it on here. There comes a point in everyone's life where as C.S. Lewis says, you're never too old and it's never too late to dream a new dream. 
And we as the church in our work with younger people and our outreach have got to help people dream new dreams. Because society is saying you can be what you like. It's not true. And we have mental health issues amongst our younger people and older people like we've never had before. And one of the things we've got to do is come alongside people and tell them, you know what, whatever's going on, whatever the muck of your life, Jesus really loves you. Jesus is really here for you. And we can dream a new dream together. And I'll be honest, these two guys, the two guys that played for England didn't play loads, but it's a guy called Scott Parker who plays for Fulham and a guy called Sean Mark Phillips who um, is just is kind of connected to QPR, but about to, they're both about to retire. And you know what? I would not have swapped what I've done in my adult life with what they've done. I'd quite like their holiday homes. But running around after an inflated pig's bladder for my job was not what God had in mind. But someone had to help dream a new dream. We've got to help people dream a new dream. So there's 10 signs of culture. Quickly, with just one minute with a person next to you, if that's the cultural landscape, in what ways might this picture represent the church? Might, not does. It's a bridge that the river's moved. It's in Honduras. It's actually happened. The river started moving and they finished building the bridge. It's not an old bridge, but it's the bridge to nowhere. In what ways might this be a danger that this might represent the church? Just discuss that for a moment. I'm really sorry. We're going to have to rein it in. In what ways, let's have some quick answers. In what ways might this represent the church? Stuck in the mud. <laughs> Anything else? Not going with the flow. That's a positive one. I like that one. Anything else? Yeah. Should the church move or should culture move? Good question. Anything else? Part of finance in the wrong places. Um, I think it's really interesting because for me, I've applied to four trusts to raise the money to build a bridge. I've done what I said I was going to do. I've built a bridge. I might not send a photo, but I can write to those trusts and say, thank you for investing in this bridge. However, it's not serving any purpose. The reason I put it in there is we must be careful to make sure we are serving the purpose we're here for. And that purpose is to reach people who don't know Jesus. And, you know, we celebrate James Hudson Taylor, don't we? People love James Hudson Taylor. He went to China. He was the first missionary. Well, he wasn't the first one to do it. But the first one who famously wore local dress, ate local food. He didn't build a United Kingdom embassy in the country he went in around himself. He immersed himself in the culture, but he stuck true to the message of Jesus and changed how you do mission. But are we doing that now here? You know, or or are we in our own silo to decide? We've got to make sure that we are not changing the substance. Honestly, I can't say this enough. The substance doesn't change. The gospel message belongs to God. It's, It's his. You don't mess with it, but the style should change like the wind. I don't think God minds what time of day we meet, yet nearly every church is half ten and half six. Everything to do with milking cows, nothing to do with Jesus. I don't think the Lord minds how we worship, and yet all we ever do is sing. Interesting. I'm not sure the Lord minds how long the talk is, or whether it has four Ds in it, or whatever else, as long as we are growing people. And I think we need to be a bit more pragmatic to reach people that otherwise won't be reached. Because the style of church should change like the wind and the substance should remain. So being really superficial, what kind of style do we need? Yes, but how? Now, my friend Leonard Sweet, if anyone's ever read anything by Leonard Sweet, he's a real leading theologian in the US. If you've never read anything by him, read the gospel according to Starbucks. Now, Leonard Sweet 
says that everything that works in postmodernity is epic. Everything. Experiential, participative, image-driven, connected. Really superficial, this, but important. So IKEA. IKEA was amazing when it first came to London. It's now the worst way to spend a Saturday. But it's not a shop. It's got an experiential path. You participate. You tried the chairs. You used to take a bit of your wallpaper. They'd scan it in, see what sofa worked with it. It's image-driven. Because if I came to your house and you had IKEA furniture, I could tell you it's from IKEA. And it's connected because everyone does this, but IKEA were the first two. They set up a kitchen. They didn't sell you a kitchen cabinet. They set one up with flooring, a picture on the wall, knives and forks, plates in the right place. Set it up as a normal kitchen so you'd think, oh, that could be my kitchen. It's really superficial, isn't it? But it's epic. Equally, Maxwell House and Starbucks tried to merge. But Starbucks believe every individual cup of coffee is an individual experience. Maxwell House produced en masse horrible instant coffee, made worse by churches serving it lukewarm. <laughs> one's epic, one's not. They couldn't merge. Equally, um, until three series ago, The X Factor was the first TV show in 30 years. Three generations of the same family watched and all enjoyed. And they watched it together because it was epic and it engaged with culture. Now, you can't tell me that if Simon Cowell can come up with a formula, you can't tell me that God can't give us the spiritual creativity to make the style of what we do epic so it will reach those outside of the church. But how experiential is your church or your church activity? How participative, how image-driven and how connected to 11 o'clock on a Tuesday morning? Because anything that works in post-modernity has this. So if you're going to start a new activity at church, this is a really simple formula. I'll put it up at the end so because some of you might want to write it down. But it's a really simple formula to run something through. You want to do something to reach people? Is it epic? So Alpha's really epic. That's why it's worked in many contexts. But, but is it epic and should it be? And if you were going to plant a new congregation seeking to reach people outside, do it like this. And in 10 years' time, you'll find that all the church is like this. A little bit like for years, people started playing guitars and preaching differently, and then everyone started doing the same. How epic is what we're doing? Because this is the style that engages with culture. You know, um, I want to encourage you that in the midst of the challenges involved, the most common promise in Scripture is that God's with you. I think you hear all of this stuff and you think it's really hard. How's this going to work? But God's with you. In the middle of it, he says, I am with you. When you're standing up to people that are very different, he's with you. When you're faced with difficult stuff, he's with you. When you're not sure what to do, he's with you. And when you don't know how epic your church is, he's with you. And in all things, might he be glorified. Which means if there was one tip for navigating our cultural context, it would be to pray. It would be to really pray that God would guide us. It would be to pray that God would lead us. And it would be to make the main thing the main thing again. I think too often we defend style like the wind when we shouldn't. We shouldn't defend style. Style is just um, is done in order to engage the people who are there. Substance remains. And we might need to change the style to reach more people. Or we might need to start things on the side. Two moments I had when I was working in youth ministry. First one, I got sent a letter. I opened it and out fell a cheque for £50,000. I was really excited. Till I read the letter, then I wasn't sure whether to be excited or not. It was from a church who were down to their last 14 members. All 14 members had retired and they'd sold the building because they'd decided it was too tiring to try and start again with younger people. So instead, they'd sent us the money. 
In one sense, I admire the pragmatism. In another sense, I think, but kids need grandparents. We could do this. Secondly, another thing we've done a lot is is help churches, because evening services seem to be dying, certainly in an English context. They're not what they once were. People don't want to go to church twice on a Sunday in the same way. And young people don't want to go to church in the morning. Why? Because they're sleeping. That's okay. They're growing. And we would help a church launch a Sunday night done in a more epic way. But what you'd find is in the end, the older people preferred it. But they didn't realize till they saw it. And so there may be some soft ways of doing some things differently to reach some new people that in time become the mainstream. But what I would never want to do, and if I've come across as this, forgive me, I'll never knock the bride of Christ. I love the church. I'm part of the church. I want to be hope within the church. But I also want to be involved in the makeover. Because I'm not sure the bride is young enough or pretty enough just yet to get married. But that's okay, isn't it? Because you get ready for a wedding and a wedding's not now. So let's get the church ready. Let's believe. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this chance to be together. And I pray, Lord, that you would inspire us as to some ways in which we can change some of what we do to reach other people. Equally, Lord, show us what's, what's non-negotiable. We don't want to change stuff that really matters to you. But Lord, as we try and navigate our culture, as we try and be cultural geographers in our time, might we glorify you through what we do and might you be close, leading us, guiding us and in all things, presencing yourself with us. And for each of my friends, might they be encouraged by the evangelistic efforts of themselves and their churches really soon. Amen.